Eat, Drink, DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans. Welcome to Eat, Drink, DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today on the show, we'll be talking with food writers Sarah Blaskovich and Claire Baller about what's in and what's out right now on the food and restaurant scene. We'll also have a special segment with Sarah and Dallas Morning News Rangers insider slash food lover Evan Grant. It's going to be fun, and it all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food. Like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back. Today, we are kicking things off with our intrepid food reporters, Sarah Blaskovich and Claire Baller. Late, yes, round of applause. Later on, we'll be talking about restaurant ins and outs and what's trending. But right now, we're going to kick the show off like we always will with what's hot and interesting and trending. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Claire. We have a podcast now. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Super excited to be here. Awesome. Thank you, guys. So first of all, what is everyone talking about right now? I know, Claire, you just wrote a story about three things that are more expensive on restaurant menus right now. A lot of people have been complaining about everything being really expensive. What kind of stuff are you seeing? Yeah, unfortunately, it's a bit of a bleak situation out there right now for restaurants um, and people running restaurants. I mean, everyone's affected by inflation right now and restaurants are no different. And what we're starting to see is that cost um, that restaurants are taking on uh, having to be passed over to uh, diners. And it means that things like lobster and brisket are items that people are paying a lot more for right now unfortunately. And it doesn't really look like that's going to change anytime soon. Um, so that's something that, right. that people should be aware of right now is that give restaurants a little bit of grace when you see prices jump up. Most of them, they're doing the best that they can um, and things are just really expensive. Yep. And it seems to be also changing from week to week, like what is more expensive. Definitely. You know, some weeks it's lobster, some weeks it's chicken wings, etc. Well, cool. Thank you for that, Claire. And next, we'll talk about a big restaurant opening. Uh, Carbone finally opened in the design district in Dallas this past week, and Sarah Belaskovich was on the case there. I know that this is one of the biggest things that readers have been emailing you about and asking you about, right, Sarah? Yes. Carbone is the number one question and has <laughs> been for six months, probably. It's like, I mean, sometimes people are like, hey, where should I eat or what's cool around town? But almost every time it's specifically when is Carbone opening in Dallas? Uh, which would make me believe it is the biggest restaurant opening of the year. And I have said right. it might be the biggest restaurant opening of the past couple of years just because of the profile of this place. It is an expensive Italian restaurant that started in New York City, but now they have them in Hong Kong, Miami, and Las Vegas, and Dallas makes five. So um, 
if you step back and look at all those cities, Dallas among them, that is really interesting from a food perspective, right? Um, of course, New York City, huge food scene. Miami, really big food scene, especially with flashy, exciting, excessive food. And Carbone is right in there. I mean, this is a $25 Caesar salad. Uh, you can easily spend 60, 70 bucks on veal marsala. It is it is very traditional Italian food served in with flair, as if this were a dinner theater, and the waiters wear tuxedos, and everybody in there is dressed to the nines, and they say it's um, it's themed to be the year 1958. I love the 1958 thing. It's kind of like a little time capsule. I sat down with the chef Mario Carbone, and he he dropped that little hint that it's mm-hmm. 1958 in here, and I was like, wait, what a second, <laughs> what? And so we. He, he took me there uh, and it all makes sense. The music must be from 1958 or before. The food must look like it, the chandeliers, the fabric, and it all works. Very cool. Awesome. Well, in other big news, restaurant news in the last week uh, is coming from Fort Worth. And Claire, I know you wrote about Riata Restaurant moving out of Sundance Square. The president actually went on a Facebook Live and announced that they are moving and sort of solicited feedback from um from diners and fans about where their next location should be. And some of the comments on our DMN Food Facebook page um, were really interesting. Like some people, of course, were saying Stockyards is a natural place, natural fit for them to move to. Other people were like Plano. Other people were like East Dallas. And I even saw some Mineral Wells and even Brownwood. So it was Mm, really interesting to see... Um, the range, you know, people, almost everyone wants Riata to come to, to their town. What else did you kind of find out about that? Claire? Well, first of all, it's an interesting approach. I don't think that we've ever really seen anyone do that kind of crowdsourcing right. approach for where they should open their restaurant. So that's super unique to see. Um, and they said that they're looking for either a plot of land to develop on or some, a pretty large sizable retail space. So that says already that they're looking to probably camp out somewhere for a while um, and really invest in a spot. I would be surprised if they leave the Fort Worth area. It just seems like such Mm -hmm. a big part of their identity. And uh, so I I expect to see them probably land somewhere around there. But it's a big move. I mean, they've been there for, I think, 20 years now in that location. And they've become a landmark restaurant in that area. So we're going to just keep an eye on where they go next. And um, it will be a big surprise to me. And I think probably I'm sure to Sarah too, to others, if, if it ends up being not in the Fort Worth area. Yeah, I agree. I found it especially interesting that they aren't closing the existing one until 2024. Mm-hmm. And so they're giving everybody a huge heads up. A, exactly. come see us where we are right now. Maybe, maybe a half a dozen times. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and B, tell us where you want to go next. Two just really bizarre things that I've, I mean, in 10 years of the Dallas Morning News, I've never seen anybody do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah, a good point. Very interesting. Yeah. They aren't moving for another two years until their, their lease is up. So they have quite a bit of time to figure out the best spot. Yep. Exactly. Well, thank you guys. Another big thing is since it's spring, um, something that's sort of near and dear to my heart is uh, farmers markets are back. So there's been a lot of farmers market openings. Claire, I know you wrote about the White Rock local market reopening in a new location in East Dallas, and that's run by Good Local Markets. And then I also saw the historic McKinney Farmers Market um, has expanded a lot this year. They've got more vendors, 
um, more events and a lot of stuff like that. Even like a little gaming area with all those fun outdoor games like cornhole and, you know, giant checkers or whatever. So um, that should be a fun place to go on the weekends. All right. Thank you, guys. That was fun. And you can read all of these stories on DallasNews.com slash food. And coming up, we'll be talking more with Sarah and Claire about what's in and what's out on the restaurant scene. We'll be right back. Central Market is really into food. Like when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back. So today, the three of us will be talking about restaurant trends we are seeing in North Texas this year. Um, We have a lot of fun stuff going on, and Sarah and Claire are always have their ear to the ground on what is going on and what they're seeing. Things are always changing here. Things, you know, move in, things move out, and our reporters are on the scene. So, Sarah, what are you seeing that's kind of in right now this year? Well, um, I'm going to pick, I think, two things to talk about. The first thing I want to talk about is uh, what I'll call eating uh, in excess or this sort of lust for excess, as Pete Wells said in the New York Times related to Carbone. Mm -hmm. Um, Flashy restaurants. We have so many of them in Dallas right now, a couple of them in Fort Worth, too. And of course, this is at odds um, with how expensive food is in general right now. You go to a barbecue place, as Claire mentioned, and the brisket costs more. And this is not a flashy restaurant. This is a barbecue place. And then you go to these flashy restaurants that are just so beyond in terms of price. Um, And that's also at odds with a lot of us who don't eat like that all the time. It is not always our anniversary. Many of us, myself included, do not have hundreds of dollars to spend on a weeknight just because. Um, And so as we see flashy restaurants like Carbone open, um, I think we also feel a little bit funny about whether we should visit them a lot and whether that's sort of the right thing to do judiciously um, with the money that we have or don't have. Uh, but just let me give you a couple of examples of these restaurants. Carbone is the is the biggest and uh, most prominent right now. But Shoyo is a really wonderful example. This is an omakase restaurant mm-hmm. where you can eat uh, almost two dozen dishes. It costs $175 per person, but you will never find uh, another meal like this at, than you will at Shoyo. So Shoyo is special, but it's also you pay for something that's special. So we can't talk about expensive, fabulous restaurants in Dallas without talking about Monarch. This is the restaurant at the 49th floor in a renovated building in downtown Dallas. It is a place where you dress up, you go for your anniversary. The views are incredible. The food, in my opinion, is really good. Um, However, you really go and spend money, big money, uh, whether you want to or not. The tasting menu, last I checked, was $290 per person. And um, just let's do a little tally, right? Two people, let's say that's 600 bucks for a couple. Maybe you buy a $100 bottle of wine. If you're me, you probably also got a cocktail before. Um, You're going to tip your server well, I should hope. And... um, you're a little under $1,000 for two people to eat dinner. I hope we can all agree that's that's a lot of money. And for a lot of us, it's it's more money than, than many can or should spend. So uh, 
I feel conflicted about restaurants like this. The food is exciting and the dining rooms are beautiful, um, but sometimes it feels a little irresponsible to spend that much money unless you really are celebrating something or have that much money. Um, so that's a huge trend I'm seeing right now. Great. Thank you, Sarah. And Claire, what are some in things you're seeing? So kind of, I guess, on the opposite end of that spectrum just a little bit, one thing that I have been seeing quite a bit of in the early days of the pandemic that is continuing to this day, and now I think for different reasons, is really simplified, scaled back menus. Yes. It started at the beginning of the pandemic because restaurants were just struggling to stay open, let alone have these extensive menus that they had before. And then that led into uh, dealing with supply chain issues ingredient shortages, labor shortages. And I think what happened somewhere along the way too is one, customers began to kind of expect that uh, of having mm -hmm. more limited menus. And I think to kind of prefer it. I think it's it's a bit of a situation of the paradox of choice, right? You sit down to eat a meal. Uh, you already have so many decisions to make throughout the day that sometimes it's nice to sit down and to not have this intimidating, overwhelming menu to sift through and figure out what you want to eat. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I personally, I love a small menu. I'm like, yes, tell me, Same here. you know, the few things that you do really well. And I just prefer that. I think it's a lot easier to make that, that choice as a diner. Um, so that's one thing for sure. Mm -hmm. I think it also makes a restaurant focus. So yes. if they know that their lobster roll is really good, or if they know, you know, that their certain pasta dish is really good, it makes the menu alongside four or five other things. And mm -hmm. you as a diner are then told, these are what we're really proud of. And it cut down on their cost, but it also, for me, like shows their true colors. Exactly. This is what they're great at. Isn't that what you and I want to eat at that restaurant anyway? It's not actually, I came in wanting a burger, so even if it's not a burger restaurant, I'm going to eat a burger. What I want to do as a diner is eat what they are good at. Yep. Yeah. And it and it gives you some confidence in what they're presenting to you, right? They're not trying to be everything to everyone. This is what they do yep. really well. And I, I think that's something that we are seeing and are going, going to continue to see uh, throughout the course of this year. And I don't know, maybe it will last for quite some time. Um, the other thing I would say, I want to add this in, this is not a trend that I'm seeing right now, but it's one that I'm going to go ahead and, and say that I think that we might see. And Erin, I don't know, you can maybe mm -hmm. back me up on this. Um, okay. But it seems like recently a whole bunch of uh, maybe, I, I guess probably the Gen Z community has realized what persimmons are and it's it's been kind of like a funny <laughs> a funny thing uh, online um and so i think that we're going to start seeing more persimmons on restaurant menus come the fall so they're not in season right now this is going to be a fall right. thing um and and i think that will manifest in seeing them on dessert menus probably primarily uh erin is that something that you have like have you been seeing persimmon talk online at all i haven't been seeing it online but i'm glad to hear that that uh, Gen Z is interested in persimmons <laughs> because they're delicious. Um, we've had a lot of stories on them in the past. Um, one of our contributors, Daniel Cunningham, uh, also known as Texas Plant Guy, he's a forager. Mm -hmm. And so he loves persimmons. Um, they grow natively here in Texas. You can go find them in certain places growing on trees. And he has one uh, trick for persimmons. You wait until they're super duper ripe you put them in the freezer and then you can cut open the top and eat it like ice cream. And oh, ice cream. It's amazing. Yeah, it oh has the gosh. texture of ice cream. Yes, persimmons are delicious and I I hope we do definitely see them 
on more menus. I'm not sure where um, chefs are sourcing them from, if they're sourcing them locally or from afar, because um, there are usually two different types of persimmons that um, that you can source. So, so yes, good to hear that the Gen Z is, are they doing like TikTok videos on him or something? Yeah, lots of TikTok, <laughs> lots of TikTok content. And I think Lizzo, Lizzo had persimmon a video TikTok. eating a yeah. persimmon and I think it's Oh, Lizzo did it. Okay, right. got it. Anything, oh, anything God, Lizzo touches becomes, yeah. Ask yes. Lizzo to talk about dallasnews.com slash food. Right. It's a great <laughs> place. Yes. yes. <laughs> I wonder if she forages. <laughs> that would be awesome. Well, awesome. So that's great to see on what's in. And so what is out that you guys are seeing? I know sometimes that's kind of a more more fun thing to talk about, even though persimmons were fun. Yeah, I have a thought, which is this is not a brand new thought about what's out, but I just maybe we can all hold hands and agree on this one. Um, <laughs> I am tired of uh, these sort of holier than thou menus. So uh-huh. the idea that you, the diner, needs to understand every preparation and every ingredient on the menu. Now, a server is there to explain these things to you, and really wonderful restaurants have servers who do this. Um, but I think we make the mistake of putting ingredients on menus or preparations that all of us Google. And then when the server comes up, maybe we have more questions, but we're trying not to look really stupid in front of a server. And I say this as a person, food is my whole life. It is my job. It is my hobby in the evenings. And if I'm not really sure about something on a menu, I bet a lot of you guys aren't either. And we're really tired of being talked to that way, I think. So um, I either want to see on a menu Uh, not a lot of detail in the way that you want to ask your server, oh my gosh, tell me what's in that tagliatelle pasta. And they can go into it. Or I want to see a great definition underneath the name Mm -hmm. so that you're you're along for the ride. Yeah. Like not just one words that that you have to look up or figure out how it's prepared and all of that. Right. Yes, I am I am all for that. I'm glad that that is kind of going it's it's sort of a learning experience. I mean dining out is supposed to be that way um, and supposed to be educational and customers, you know, customer service and hospitality is a big part of it. So educating people, we shouldn't be, you know, ashamed to ask and talk about what the dish is. Yeah. And that's how you learn about different cultures too, right? Yeah. Like I feel like I have to Google Shermula every time. Oh, right. This, this is a, a blend of spices um, yes. and I can't quite remember what's in it. Like I know that it's some spices. And then I look it up and I see, okay, there's cumin and there's coriander and there's garlic and there's, you know, some. Yeah. I have to Google how to pronounce it, which I guess now with the podcast, we have to learn how to pronounce things (laughs) in addition to actually spelling them. (laughs) That's right. So thank you, Sarah, for pronouncing that properly. (laughs) Claire, what are you seeing that's kind of, kind of on its way out? So I'm, I'm not actually sure if this is on its way out, but I've, (laughs) got to think that we have to be hitting or maybe have already hit the peak of fried chicken uh, in Dallas, new specifically hot fried chicken coming to the area. Man, there's been like a stretch of time there where it just seemed like just so many new places opening. Um, But people have an appetite for it and uh, places keep opening and they seem to be doing well. So maybe I'm wrong, but I... No, you're not wrong, Claire. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There are too many of those. I think okay. we've hit the peak. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I've got to think that we have to be seeing that tapering off um, here pretty soon if it's not already starting right. to happen. Yeah. I agree. Amen. It seems like there's a new one 
opening up. And I see a lot that, you know, I know I should know about because I'm the food editor, but there are some brands where I'm like, oh, what is that? Oh, it's another hot chicken place. Yep. Like I didn't even <laughs> realize what it was, just like, um, you know, a random chain here and there. So, well, so, and yeah. good hot chicken should live on. Like Nashville hot chicken yes. is exciting food Definitely. if you're making right. it in an excellent way. Hattie B's is an example. I love that place. It is really good Nashville hot chicken. And they're from Nashville. God bless them. They're making right. the food from their hometown, right? <laughs> so that works. Um, but Claire, you're so right. There there are too many. And and diners will choose which ones are good. Right. And the ones that aren't great won't make it. That's I agree. That goes. And I do think, though, I want to preface that with saying there are some exciting local people doing their take on fried chicken. And I do hope that sticks around, right? If we're going to have fried chicken, let's find people here who are doing it locally and really creatively. Um, Donnie Sirasavath at, at um, formerly Cow and now Darku's Chicken Shack is, is an example of that. So super exciting as well to see local takes on it. But yeah, I'm kind of okay right. if uh, we've hit our, our peak on that. Yeah. Agree. Well, thank you both so much for these insights. And of course, for all of your hard work covering the food scene. It's always fun to talk to you both. And I think we'll probably have more of these in and out segments. And also please tell us what you think is in and what you think is out. Stay with us. Coming up in our next segment, Sarah Blaskovich talks with her food buddy, Evan Grant, who is also the Rangers insider at Dallas Morning News. That's right after this. Hey, listeners, this is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News, and that thankfully includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com listen. Welcome back, everyone. Right now, it's time for a super fun segment that we'll have every month or so on the show. Sarah Blaskovich and Dallas Morning News Rangers insider Evan Grant are what you might call food buddies. Evan loves food, Sarah loves food, and they love talking about it together. So now you get to listen in on their conversations, which are hilarious and super interesting. So lucky you. For today's show, Sarah and Evan met up at a very boisterous Loro in East Dallas to talk about, well, you'll see. Okay, well, they've brought us a bunch of food. I don't know if this is all the food we got or not. We so we, we tend got to over order. Yeah, yeah. You go through what we had. We got corn fritters. We got char siu pork, which is barbecued roast pork, but it's coming from the smoker here at Laura, so it's going to have a little bit different flavor than your garden variety. Yep. Um, Cantonese Chinese restaurant. We got a smoked salmon dip, which I've not had. I'm so excited to eat this with you. We both love salmon a lot. We love salmon. And then uh, we, I know we've also got a couple other dishes coming. But, <laughs> this isn't it. <laughs> but this is the smoked fried chicken with a hot honey coleslaw. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good sandwich. That's it's what business. I had the one time I've been here. So. And then I think this is the brisket fried rice with peanuts. Is that what it is? I think it's hiding in here. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm going to close this back up so that it stays warm. Okay. Um, so, Evan, I think what a lot of people... Um, our readers, Dallas Morning News readers might not know, is that you and I have lunch together all the time. And uh, we do that because we share a love for food. And um, that's the bivet. We, we also got, we the, got the smoke. 
prime event, and we still have a cheeseburger coming. We have one, oh two, God. three, four, five, six. We ordered seven things. All we right. won't eat them all. That, that... We will eat them all. We won't finish them all. Correct. We okay. will taste them all. Yes. Not finish them all. So I think a lot of folks don't know that you and I eat together about once a month. We pick a buzzy restaurant. You pick it or I pick it, a place we're excited about or that we've been before with somebody else. Um, and when we go to those places, we just, we first of all order too much food. We always share food, which I love that about you. I think if you didn't let me try your food and vice versa, we wouldn't be friends. It's, you know, I have a friend who was a restaurant critic in a previous life yep. and we would just won't mention any of that. <laughs> um, but I learned in that environment that food had to be communal and I like it. I Absolutely. like it that way. So um, everybody gets the taste a little bit of everything. So Laura was an exciting place because it's an Asian smokehouse. So you have Aaron Franklin's um, barbecue genius mixed with Tyson Cole's um, j mostly Japanese, but Asian inflected genius. And together they opened the first Laura in Austin. Dallas was the second. There's another one opening in Addison. Um, and Laura has been a place that I've been excited about for a long time. And we've eaten here a bunch of times. Um, I've only eaten here once and I've, it's invited by a trio of elderly gentlemen who were baseball fans, and they wanted to have lunch with me. Um, and so they invited me. Was this me my here. dad? It was not your dad. My dad is Evan Grant's biggest fan. But he we couldn't have... believe I knew you. When he, he was like, "Do you know Evan Grant at the Dallas Morning News?" I was like, "Yeah, we work together." And he was like, "Cool." Okay, Evan. We've all told our food origin stories, and I want to hear yours. So. Um, my origin story is, uh, it, it, it's kind of complicated, but food, right, is always for me, it brings me like kind of back to childhood. Everything that's sure. just great brings me back to childhood. I was a picky eater as a kid. Um, I ate very few things as a child, but I did, my, my family did go out for Chinese food um, in the early 1970s. Uh -huh. And the presentation of the food came out in the little silver pagoda plates with you know a cover on top and so they the server would take the little plate top off yep. and there was this this dish there um and i ate things that of course are not very chinese whatsoever but <laughs> my dad loved barbecued pork sparrows uh -huh. um of course this was also a big uh source of, of uh conflict in the family because I learned to love the, bar the barbecue pork spirits as well. Yep. Uh, but my dad's definition of keeping kosher was he wouldn't bring any pork into the house. Oh, yes. But, but your dad eat, would eat the pork. And we could eat it on the outside. Oh, I love your dad. That's funny. Um, I've done away with that portion of the whole thing. But so that was always a treat, right? Because I love these barbecue pork spirits yes. and we get them at the Chinese restaurant. Um, the other thing, and this has really become kind of a lifelong pursuit is the restaurant that we grew up going to is a place called Lotus Garden. Every city has a Lotus Garden, right? Yep. And um, what city was this for you? This was in Atlanta. Uh -huh. And the dish that my parents would order typically was called almond fried chicken. And so what it was, was it was a breast of boneless fried chicken with basically egg for young sauce on top uh -huh. and some sprinkled little slivered almonds. Again, this I've, is not exactly exotic food. I've never had that before. And you've never had it. And so over time in Atlanta and in South Florida, where much of the Chinese food kind of migrated from New York and from Toronto and the East Coast, uh -huh. the, the Americanized Chinese food, these were staples, okay? 
when I came here to Dallas and I tried to order this at Lover's Egg Roll the first time ever, they looked at me with very, very confused faces. And they didn't have it, right? They had no idea, no. And they had almond chicken and they had fried chicken that was served with sweet and sour chicken sauce. So yeah. I tried to say, look, here's what you do. Just take the, the fried chicken from the sweet and sour chicken, put some egg for young sauce on it. <laughs> And sprinkle it with almonds. So I'll like, be happy. Of all the 48 items you have on your menu, none of them are quite right. So please take A and B and put them together. Correct. And what they did is literally they took A and B <laughs> and put it together. So it had both egg foo young sauce and sweet and sour Ew. sauce on it, which was horrible. Ew. So I've never had this dish in Dallas. Never been able to get it. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I read the, um, the Fortune Cookie Chronicles, which came out, I guess, about 12 years ago. And it really is kind of a history of Americanized uh, Chinese food. Yep. And it, it, it gave me some ideas, and so I started researching what this dish was and where it came from. Uh, and it really kind of came more from Toronto in that area where the Chinese uh, restaurants uh -huh. uh, started than it did from New York. And it was a dish called Almond Sugai. Okay. So when I go to Canada, I can find it. And there are some old... Uh, what they call Cantonese restaurants. I'm not sure it's really Cantonese food anymore, yeah, Okay. but they call it Cantonese, and I can still get it. There's a place I go to, and I will try when I go to Toronto next week, Yes. called Watu. It is a complete dive. Um, and oh, I bet I, it's going to be wonderful. And I am like the only guy in there at lunchtime, and I go in there, and I have a very specific order, and they, they bring it, and it is wonderful. We also found it in New York, and it led to an incredible experience. Um, where the family and I went Christmas Day, we flew to New York, and I said, We're going out for a long time ago. This was, I think, 2016, maybe. Okay, and we flew in on Christmas Day and we went to a place in Chinatown called Hop Key, which I think had to have been the um, the restaurant from the Seinfeld episode in which Jerry and, and George are told five, ten minutes and they're still waiting an hour. If it wasn't, can we just hope it was? I, I It's got to be. Yep. Anthony Bourdain used to go there. There's pictures of Anthony Bourdain I love in it. there um, eating the food. And they, you know, they, they, they don't take your, they don't, there's no um, beepers uh, or pagers or anything. <laughs> they take your name, they give you a little piece of paper with a number and that's how you they, then they call your number. Yep. So that's the uh, that's the reservation system. Anyway, we <laughs> waited an hour and a half in the coldest New York temperature I've outdoors. ever been outdoors because there was no there was no room inside. We got there. They had on the menu. They had the best egg rolls I've ever had. Huh? And egg rolls are another topic for another day. Oh, okay. We can go hunting for the best egg rolls in Dallas. We can, and we're like not going to find them. But the, I'd love to. <laughs> But the best egg rolls are have the little tiny chopped up bits of roast pork inside. Uh -huh. Red roast pork. Don't tell you don't your mom get, or dad. Correct. Um, they had uh, um, uh, yang chow fried rice, which has the barbecued pork in there, has shrimp, has mm. chicken, has everything. They had the almond sugai. Uh, it's, it shows up, the pictures show up in everybody in the family chat's memories every day. And so it's like... We not only, for me now, we not only have this, like, my food origin story, but it's like my family, my adopted family here has picked up on the whole uh, tradition as well. And so it, it's almost like it's a second generation. This is a quest. 
Yeah, it really is. That is a really good story. That's a couple of really good stories. Um, we're going to need to eat more Chinese food together, I think, Evan. Yes, absolutely. Well, that was fun, and it definitely felt like I was sitting right there with them at Loro. I don't know about y'all, but I'm officially hungry now and kind of craving salmon. You can hear more from Evan Grant about the Texas Rangers every Tuesday on Sports Day Insider. Just look for the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. Also, we want to hear from you, too. We want to know what y'all are eating, drinking, trying, and loving, and we want you to tell us about it. We want your questions, too. So fill out our form at dallasnews.com food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. We'd love to share your thoughts on a future episode, like this voice memo from one of our favorite readers, Andy Orrick. Hi, I'm Andy. I live in Dallas. I'm a longtime subscriber to the Dallas Morning News. I live within walking distance of the eclectic restaurant explosion on Garland Ave that Claire Baller wrote about so wonderfully just the other day. But my go-to restaurant has always been Zagwan. It's got great food, and I think it's the best of what Dallas has to offer in terms of community, internationalism, multiculturalism. It just has it all. Wonderful vibe. Uh, great staff. Recommended highly. Thanks, Andy. And don't forget, you can send your voice memos to us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. The show is produced by Natalie Kalmogun and Jeff Whittington. To stay up to date on every episode of this show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Erin Bookie, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.